Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. My next guest on the Sandro Forte podcast is Simon Morgan, the Director of Operations and Training of Trojan Consultancy. And Simon, I have to say, apart from being a long-standing friend, has quite a remarkable CV for reasons you're about to discover. Simon has previously enjoyed an illustrious career in the Metropolitan Police Service, serving as the TSG in a frontline public order unit and SO19 armed response vehicles before moving to royalty, personal protection, where he served Her Majesty the Queen and senior British royal family members as a protection officer. During his time at Royalty Protection, Simon was also the operations manager responsible for the planning and resourcing of UK and overseas deployments, liaising with the Home Office, Foreign Commonwealth Office and senior officials within the royal household. An absolutely mind-blowing career. You wait till you hear about some of these stories. It really is a pleasure to have the opportunity to speak a little more today and to have a Sandro Forte podcast conversation with a good friend of mine and an all-round top human being, Simon Morgan. Simon, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you, Sandro. Thank you for asking me to get involved. Thank you. Now, for those of you who don't know Simon, um, he you know he's quite an imposing guy. If he if he scowled at me, I'd probably be a bit frightened. But he's he's a real pussycat deep down. Although we don't want to tell any of his client, <laughs> any of his clients that. So Simon, for those people who don't know you, uh, where did uh, where did it all start? Now, obviously, there's a there's a hint of Welsh there, isn't there? So, um, but the, but there's some ties with Essex as well. So you need to you need to talk us through that one. So. Uh, where did it all begin? And just give us a kind of a potted CV of your of your career, just kind of embellishing on some of the things that I've just mentioned. Okay. I mean, originally from Swansea, as you say, down in South Wales. And yes, uh, a desire to join the police service at a relatively kind of young age. And, it, and in particular, as I grew older, I, I knew where I wanted to go. And I wanted to go into uh, personal protection or bodyguarding as the, as the layman terms call it. So that's where I structured my, my whole career from really in quite, quite an early age. So whilst it sounds, um, I suppose a little bit contrite to say, well, you know, that's what I knew I wanted to do. And therefore that's what I was going to do. Everything I did actually contributed to the path that I, that I chose. Uniform policing was great but I knew very much it wasn't, wasn't for me. Uh, I didn't, uh, obviously not looking to put a negative spin on myself, but community policing, empathy, things like that weren't the natural skills that I had. And as soon as I completed my probationary period after two years, I applied to the public order unit because that was more me, um, you know, very much frontline policing, very much an aggressive form of policing and, and taking the fight to the bad guys to a certain extent. Time came that looking at my career and, and there was another potential move and I moved to SO19, which was the fourth firearms unit at the time. And I moved to the armed response vehicles. Again, another step for me whereby you were gathering experience you were working in the right areas 
Um, and you were also picking up the, the requisite skill set that you needed ultimately to become a protection officer. And then in early 2007, I joined Royalty Protection, February the 20th, 2007, which was actually um, my birthday. So that's why it sticks very much in my mind. And my career with Royalty Protection started from there. And um, the, the skill set, the experience that it gave me allows me to create Trojan Consultancy, which is where, where we are now and which is how kind of we met. Obviously, I didn't have to deal with you in the early days of firearms criminality. So <laughs> now in the nice world. It's only because we didn't bump into each other. That's right. That's right. You were good at your job and I wasn't good at mine. So, um, yeah, you know, I created Trojan Consultancy, which yeah, easy strap line. We look after the security concerns of people of wealth, visibility and status. Mm. Wow. Well, I did. I was just thinking uh, as you were talking there and, and first of all, a couple of things that, that came out of what you just said. And, and thank you for such a, a detailed um, and, and it was it was necessary for you to go into that much detail because your career, as I said uh, in the introduction, Simon, is is nothing short of remarkable. Um, the way that you've sought to better yourself, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But, but, you know, obviously you do deal in very serious matters. So let's talk a little bit about vulnerability. Um, so I think it would be fair to say that the majority of people in this country and all around the world probably take it for granted. I'm, do we take it for granted? We probably don't even know. We don't even know to take it for granted because we have no appreciation of what goes on in the background. But clearly, you do. You know, we are a vulnerable society, but we don't feel vulnerable because of people like you. Um, but I mean, you've got some amazing stories. We don't have enough time to go into all of them today. But what is the biggest mistake you see people making in terms of their own security, Simon? Because I mean, you, you've told me some stories, and we'll, we'll talk about the the bus stop incident, which I, I thought was remarkable so I will ask you to tell that one without mentioning names but what's the biggest yeah. mistake people make in terms of their, their own personal security because unfortunately you know criminality as you mentioned is still rife we're never going to we're never going to dispense with it completely because there will always be people out there that want to take from from others um and and do some pretty awful things what what, what is the mistake you see people making what can we do to improve our own security Lots of people have the attitude that that's not going to happen to me. That's that's not me. That's not the the life that that I lead. Certainly, if you talk about our client demographics, you know we talk about you know visibility, wealth, and status. A lot of people say, well, that's that's not me. That's not the life I'm leading. I'm not putting myself on offer. But the overriding um, thought process is that, that yeah, nothing's going to happen to me which, to be honest with you, doesn't give the, the criminal the credit that they deserve. So, you know, there's two types of, there's two types of criminality. One is ad hoc and one is organised crime. Ad hoc criminality is your, uh, is your drug user who needs that next fix and therefore will, will burgle your house for whatever they can get or they will rob you in the street for your watch, you know, no matter whether it's a... £10,000 Rolex or a, a, a Casio G-Shock watch, you know, anything that they can sell, they will do. So that's um, sometimes quite difficult to explain to people how you deal with that because it's it's a random thing. At day, date, time, place, two people have come together. One wishes to do them harm. One wishes to take um, things away from them. So that's, that's very difficult. But 
you know, we talk about things such as situational awareness, you know, who is coming into your personal space, who is already there, who is exiting it at a certain time. And lots of people now aren't aware of what's going on around them. Wow. Um, I have to say, uh, well, I did touch on this. So just tell us by way of example, um, in, in terms of what you've just said, you did tell me a, a story which actually brought a smile to my face because I, on the one hand, I couldn't believe how naive someone could be. But at the same time, to, as you've just said, Simon, very much a reflection of who we are as a society and the mistakes that we make, the obvious things that we miss. So there you are in London. Um, we mo- won't mention where, we won't mention the name of your client, obviously, but you're brought in by somebody who's got this palatial home worth, you know, tens of millions of pounds and thinks that he doesn't need any kind of security because he's got this 20 uh, foot uh, stone wall all the way around the perimeter and uh <laughs> do you know you know yeah. the story don't you so I tell do. us, tell us what happened next <laughs> it's a fabulous example really so like you say we were brought in by a client uh, just to have a look as to whether they needed um physical security and what had happened the client had bought a plot of land in london uh, behind an old house and he had built his new house so the old house still existed, but it was in a very derelict state, but he had built this very much, um, like you say, palatial home, um, costing tens of millions of pounds. And the old, the old wall was in place, which, you know, like I said, in some places was 20 feet tall and it was, it was fantastic. But, but the client was convinced that nobody knew he was there. So in this very busy part of London, he was convinced that no, nobody knows I'm here. I built this house almost secretly um, behind this other house. And yeah, I'm fine. You know, nobody knows kind of who I am. And we, and we went through various different um, kind of conversations and, and we talked about the cars that he drove. And he said, oh, you know, I, I only drive old bangers because I don't want to draw attention to myself. Okay. And you think that's great, but you've just built a 45 million pound house. Um, but okay. Yeah, that's fine. We talked about... Um, whether he, he had cash in the house. And he said, no, I, I didn't have any cash in the house. Um, and we went through why that was important, because, again, coming back to the, the criminal network, you know, if they've looked at a house, because outside of this house, for the man who thought nobody knew he was there, was a very high-end building company. If you go onto their um, website, they know that they will only deal with commissions £10 million and above. So from an organised crime group, that's a big tick box. And if you're a criminal and you're going to commit a home invasion or a burglary within that house, you're expecting rich pickings. And the man said to me, no, if there's £200 in this house, I'd be amazed. And you think, right, okay, that's not a good sign. Uh, I also asked him what kind of watch did he wear? And he said, I wear a very cheap Casio watch, which I can pick up from the market because when I was younger, I got robbed in the street and I vowed I would never buy a nice watch. Again, and you think, okay, that's another bad sign kind of for the criminal, because if the criminal has made that decision to commit a burglary, which is an indictable offence, which will be tried at a crown court and is subject to five years in prison, he is going to expect far more from a £45 million house than a Casio watch you can buy in the market in £200 cash. You know, it just doesn't, you know, Mm. effort and reward from a bad guy's perspective is still the same as how me and you operate, Mm. you know, in the business world. 
So we explained some things that he needs to do kind of around that. But the key factor was that when we did the, the perimeter and had a look at it, um, there was a bus stop outside his house. And on that particular bus, if you caught um, a bus that was going from one side of London to the other and you actually sat on the top deck, you could see into his grounds and basically into his bedroom. And I explained to him the bus stop and he said, I didn't even know there was a bus stop there. And you think, right, okay, well, bus stop has clearly been there for many, many years. Just look at its kind of condition, if nothing else. But you, you've almost convinced yourself that because you've taken some steps, nobody knows you're there. But actually, the the the, the key indicators you've completely ignored. You know, you're quite happy to have the sign from the building contractors that gives you an element of status, kind of outside. But you didn't see how much of a of a red flag kind of that is and not to have noticed when you were walking around your garden that someone sitting on the top deck of a bus can actually wave to you mm. yeah you've you've just convinced yourself completely that nobody knows you're there and you know i do use that story because i think it's 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 a great one because you know nobody has uh, nobody has done anything deliberate but people just can see over your wall um mm. And, and like you said, that that man was convinced that nobody knew he was there. Mm. So to, there is that psychology. Simon, back to what you said earlier about organised crime and the the SO19 unit and you know the high octane stuff. But you know, nevertheless, despite the fact that you know you you've put such a a positive spin on the way you worked as a team that you trusted each other and this gosh there's loads of things we can ask you about that and learn from you. Um, but I guess my my obvious question that comes next is. Um, you've been in many, many situations where you've probably been pretty terrified. And the reason I'm asking you about this is because we can draw a kind of a parallel to life because people in life, people in business often are confronted. Um, we, we have a mutual acquaintance, do we not, who is being very indecisive at the moment because, because <laughs> she's frightened, because she's frightened. Yes. And um, there is a distinct difference, as we know, well, you and I know, between fear and anxiety. Feel it, fear is dealing with the present, something that is, um, you know, right there in front of you and has to be dealt with. Anxiety is is the preemption of an outcome that is yet to happen. And yeah. obviously our emotional responses to the two are very different. What I'd like to know from you, since you're very well equipped to answer this, is how do you deal with fear? Uh, and or to some extent anxiety. You know, you're gonna you're gonna burst through a front door, you don't know what's on the other side. How do you deal with terror, fear, anxiety, and all the other stuff? Because that is something that must be very, very difficult to deal with in terms of what you do. It's about preparation. You know, one you with regards to being on the firearms team for argument's sake, you are you are trained, you are given um all the options within your toolbox to deal with that job. Um, and that's both in terms of how you enter the room, how you work as a team, the weapons that you carry, how you're going to use them, what are the, um, the, the, the positives and negatives of using certain weapons in certain environments and, and all these things go in. All that gives you that, that kind of frame of reference. So you're, you're confident when you go through that door that you have rationalized it all with yourself what is going to happen you have that intelligence picture you have the 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 target that you're you're looking for um 
and you know what they've done in the past. You've you you've you've dealt with the the, the information. You've dealt with your powers and policies that allow you to go through that door and 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 deal with that individual um, and ultimately take life to preserve life. You, you've understood the rationale around that. Um, and then you look at the tactics that you are going to do that are going to do that in a safe way. Because again, you know, when you're on the firearms team, not every confrontation leads to a discharge of weapons and a fatality. It's, you know, it's still very, very low here in the UK. You know, it very rarely annually across the whole of all the police forces here in um, certainly kind of Wales and England gets to double figures of fatal police shootings. So you, you, you deal with that and you control yourself and you, you, you have to trust that you're doing the right thing at the right time because that's that's it you're given that that frame of reference you're given that toolbox in your mind you're 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 talking scenarios in and out as they go on if if i open the door and he's there immediately how do i deal with that if not i have to go into the house to search for him i think if you if you couldn't control your fear or you were fearful of the outcome that you weren't on a certainly on a sure legal footing be very difficult for you to do your job because your anxiety would build up. You know, it would be a case of, um, am I doing the right thing? Am I going to be supported? Am I going to be harangued? Am I going to die? Am I not going to be able to go back to my family? So all these things you, you have to kind of reconcile yourself um, before you go through the door. And again, you know, coming back to, um, you know, support at home. Um, my wife knew me all the time. I was a police officer. She was a police officer herself as well. And, you know, every decision that I made, you know, certainly when you go to the firearms team, there has to be an acceptance of how that has the potential to impact um, on her life as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you, you, a, lot, a, lot of it, a lot of it is training and um, being able to understand and control the fear. And I think, you know, now when we go into the, in the business world, you have a, a similar kind of thing, obviously nowhere near as great, but if you're going into a tender with a client, you know, you have gone through all the options, you have answered all the questions that they could possibly answer and you've, and you've mm-hmm. prepared yourself kind of for that. I mean, there's always the, the crippler that you don't kind of quite expect. Um, but again, you've got coping mechanisms to deal with that, to take that kind of intake of breath before you answer or indeed to deflect that question to bring it back around so that you can talk mm. about what that client has kind of asked you at that particular time. So I suppose the lesson for us mere mortals is, you know, uh, when you're confronted with uh, fear or anxiety to rationalise it, um, to kind of break it down and look at, you know, the possible outcome. So you're kind of ready to deal with the, the situation that's in front of you. Um, yeah. Let's just let's just fast forward. We don't have very much time. So we'll ask you another couple of quick questions, if we may. Um, moving forward now to Trojan Consultancy, the business that, that you set up, that you run so successfully. Uh, and I suppose uh, just for the record, you know, you've got some amazing clients, uh, but also it would be fair to say, um, you, you know, you you are extending your services to just about anybody. You know, somebody like me who has got you know, okay, I've got a pretty nice house, but I'm certainly not in the uh, in in the higher echelons of the kinds of clients you've already mentioned. But it would be fair to say that you serve the needs of anybody that has a potential yeah. security risk. Absolutely, you know, it's not um, people aren't necessarily kind of 
um, discounted because of uh, financial issues. You know, we have um, various solutions that we can kind of put in place. And, you know, that is something that may require um, just a straightforward bit of consultancy, a, a bit of education. So, you know, we may come to you and you say, well, this is the scenario I have. Um, and we may talk about it and we would, we would educate you around your concerns. And that's that's key for us. You know, we don't we don't look to frighten clients because, again, coming back slightly to the conversation we've just had, frightened people don't make rational decisions. So whilst I could come to you and tell you what all the crime figures are, tell you what happened overnight um, and so on and so forth. And you may be so fearful that you never set foot outside your front door again. Mm. Obviously, that's not that's not reasonable. So we would educate you and say, okay, well, who are you? What do you do? What is your lifestyle? Um, what are the markers that people potentially be looking out for? And then we would give you some solutions mm. and we would go through those with you. And, you know, it's various kind of points that may just be a consultancy piece. And we say, yes, you know, you, you do those things and you are mitigating the risk because when you look at the, the bad guy, the bad guy is also mitigating the risk. He doesn't want to ultimately get caught because he doesn't want to go into prison or back to prison. So when we talk about mitigating the risks, there's a lot that you could do yourself. Then we may look at some form of technical package. We may then look at some physical package, either you know whereby we say, okay, well, this is the team that you'll have and, and they'll support you. Or indeed, it may be something that we will look to patrol and respond to your house in that area. So we have various different packages um, depending on what the client wants. You know, we're not a security company that says this is what you, this is one size fits all because it doesn't, it's all, it's all bespoke because security done properly is a lifestyle choice. Security done badly is very unwielding, very unforgiving. And ultimately you won't use it. So it mm. defeats the whole point of why you had it in the first place so yeah so we will come and we will look to educate have those conversations and see what we can do to ultimately give you that peace of mind because that's why we've been brought in in the first place some some are easy wins and some need a little bit more uh, conversation or a little bit more resources um, or time to get the right solutions I guess that what I've been hearing so far today in this podcast, Simon, and it's been fascinating, I'm sure it has for everyone listening as well. And uh, I'm not going to openly invite tens of thousands of people to phone you up and ask you to go for a beer and tell you your stories. But I'm going to tell everyone that it is def <laughs> definitely worth buying Simon Morgan we, a beer. We, can't, we um, can't at the moment. We can't go anywhere. We can't at the moment. But no. um, but the, um, the the two words, I guess, that come out of everything we've ever spoken about and what I've heard today are, and, and, and the two really important threads that run through Trojan Consult based on all that you've you've learned in your career communication teamwork um, yes and uh, you know I'm interested to know just very briefly you know why those two things are important how you apply them in your business um, because again in business in life for people communication is often uh, something that people find very difficult to deal with and often leaders uh, and and teams find teamwork very difficult to do, you know, that, yep. that coherence that you need where you trust each other, uh, you work for the common good and all those other things. So just a brief word or two, if you can, on, on those two very important subjects. Well, communication is key and that, and that comes to, you know, two points. A, the ability to communicate, but more importantly, the ability to listen. Because if you don't listen, then you're not going to get the right information. And, you know, when we um, go back to selecting protection officers, 
certainly for for the royal family, all these key attributes that we're looking for. We're looking for that experienced police officer who's dealt with lots of different different things. And whilst we can we can train all the hard skills, we can teach people to shoot, fight, drive, all those kind of things. If somebody can't communicate in the first place, then then they're no good because you are looking at a communication scenario of something at very low level all the way to something very heightened, whereby somebody needs to do something, they need to do it now. If you can't communicate with people, then you're going to get the wrong outcomes. So, you know, that's the that's the first bit. Listening is is key. You know, if you cannot assimilate that information and if you cannot process it, then ultimately you're not going to be able to make the right decision. And I think communication now in today's society is such an undervalued skill. How do we... How do we communicate with people lots of the time? Well, we send texts, we use emojis, we send emails. Very rarely do we sit down and speak to people and listen to what they have to say. So everything is very, very stale. And certainly when I look at my my daughter's age group, they don't communicate, in my mind, how I communicated at their age, whereby you would talk to people. Everything is done on our mobile phones, which come back to our drawing attention away from what's going on. But also they don't they don't speak, they don't communicate properly, therefore they get the wrong idea. Many times my daughter showed me a message and she's going, Well, that's just not I said, Yeah, but have you actually read the message? And what was the message before it that gives you that answer? And she goes, Well, I haven't really read it properly. I haven't understood what was being said yet. You know, when you, you're a good communicator, you're also a good listener. And I think coming back to teamwork, again, I think that has become very undervalued in today's society. We're in a society whereby people are almost told not to value working with others because you're an individual, you know, and you don't need anybody else. And you're, you're the individual um, for whatever reason you are, and you have to value that. Um, but you know, teamwork in some environments, you just can't, you can't survive. You know, again, being a protection officer um, on your own is is really hard work. I have to say, uh, I just honestly, I'm in awe listening to you. And the final question, Simon, which we ask all our guests, and I know you've listened to a few, so you'll you'll know what's coming. Let's imagine your daughter, since since you've just mentioned her, uh, comes up to you one day and says, "Dad, you know." <laughs> looking at your amazing career, I'd like to embark on a similar journey in life, maybe not in, in close protection and, and, and police work, but I want to make the very best of myself in life. Um, what one tip would you give me, Dad, that would help me to plough that furrow uh, on, a, on a career path to success, whatever success looks like? Uh, what is the, based on all your experience, Simon, what's the one thing that you would tell your daughter to think about an, an adage, a mantra, something, some idea to live by in order to achieve the very best for herself that she could in life? I mean, I think if you wanted a mantra, I always talk about effort and reward. What effort do you put in to kind of get that reward? Um, and again, you know, if you put in minimal effort, you're going to get minimal reward. So that's that's how... Um, that, that's that, that's what I say to her, and certainly we have those conversations around around her sport, and she's very dedicated around that, along with a mix of her studies. But I think the key thing for me is listen. You've got to listen. You've got to be able to um, take in what is going on. Um, one of the phrases that I use on a course is that your um, 
you're listening, but you're not hearing. Or rather, you're hearing, but not listening. So, yeah, it's all going on around you, but you're not taking in that kind of information. Because if you can't, if you can't listen, you can't assimilate that information. Therefore, you can't make the decision. Um, and ultimately, life is about making decisions, isn't it? As we as we move, move through life, you have to make decisions. Um, but if you don't have all the information, and if you don't know how to gather that information, then you're going to struggle to make decisions. And, yeah. um, you know, if I go back and how I started, you know, my dad gave me advice and I listened. Um, and, you know, it's been very successful kind of to me. Um, like I said, I don't know what the conversation was when he went home back on September the 9th in 95 and told my mum I was never coming back because just to compound the situation, my brother lives in Sydney. So that's even worse. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, it, um, it, it's about listening. You've got yeah. to listen. Um, and that is the key thing that, you know, I try and speak to certainly the children about. And, and again, it's something professionally that has served me well. Um, and it's listening for the things that um, you're meant to hear and sometimes listening for the things you're not meant to hear. Very, very good, Simon. Very good. I, I knew today was going to be top draw. Um, it's, it, long, it's very all, long. Well, <laughs> it's always fascinating. Uh, listen, I learned so much from you. Your your perspective of life, you know, obviously your experience is, is nothing short of extraordinary. Um, and, and you've kind of dealt with things in life already that many of us will never fortunately get to deal with. And I mean, I, I've learned a lot today. I'm, I'm sure many, many, many listeners have, have done the same. And I think I, in many ways I underplayed your introduction because you are extraordinary individual a, a very very nice man I don't like using the word nice but you know what I mean um, and all I and all I can all I can do is thank you sincerely for, for being a wonderful wonderful Sandro Forte podcast guest today no thank you thank you for having me and um, I said if I hold that record for the longest one then that's great 